0: All right. Good evening, everyone. Let's let's begin. So, first of all, welcome to our pre-pesach A very special thank you to Maisie Abramson, who is uh, always coordinating every aspect of our multiple technology platforms. So, Maishi, thank you. First thing in the morning, last thing at night, thank you. So, our share tonight is dedicated by Robin Schaefer in dedication. Of all the women who Baruch Hashem come out to learn each and every week, we thank Robin for her dedication, to thank Hershen and Gail Goldberg for dedicating the year tonight also with gratitude to the entire Kehillah. With that, let us begin. So we have the great opportunity, the incredible opportunity, Mirz Hashem, to spend a little bit of time. Good. Perfect. Thank you. To spend a little bit of time, Mirz Hashem, preparing for Pesach. So not preparing for Pesach in the technical way, in the logistical way, that no one here needs me to tell them how to properly prepare for Pesach. Baruch Hashem, I'm sure you're all incredibly proficient, much more proficient than I, but I think what often happens on Pesach is that because there are so many logistical pieces and because there is so much that has to get done, so much that has to be cleaned, so much that has to be prepared, that often we lose out a little bit on the neshama of this exceptional yom And to try to figure out what is it exactly that we're supposed to accomplish? What is it exactly that we're supposed to do? Who is it that we are supposed to become? Because you see, Pesach is the most incredible opportunity. You know, the greatest challenge of Pesach is what? By the time we get to the Seder, right? I'm supposed to be feeling elated, elevated, uplifted, transformative. And very often I'm feeling... Good, I didn't have to fill in the blank, right? Exhausted, spent, maybe even like a little bit angry, grumpy, braigus, right? A whole variety of different emotions often fill the Jewish soul on the night of the Seder. But often it's because we haven't put ourselves in the right mindset. We haven't put ourselves really in the right headspace as to what we are supposed to accomplish over this Yom Tiv, and specifically what we are supposed to accomplish over the first night of Pesach. Because the truth is, when one looks in the sermon, when one looks in Hasidic literature, one quickly sees that there is no more powerful night on the Jewish calendar than the night of Pesach. And it's an amazing thing, even more than Rosh Hashanah, even more than Yom Kippur, even more than Sukkot, Sheminiyat, Zeres, we have so many beautiful nights and so many beautiful days throughout our year, but nothing is as special as Pesach. And it's for a very simple reason. Because in the Yom of Pesach we celebrate the fact that we became a brand new nation, we celebrate the fact that we transcended, we celebrated the fact that we transformed from being a nation of slaves ultimately to being a nation not just of free people, but we became a nation of destiny, we became a nation ultimately of people who are not just living day to day, hand to mouth, but a people of a future a people who have a destiny, a people who have something great to accomplish. And this power, this power, descends upon us every single year on the night of the Seder. Every single year comes Pesach night, we have the ability to transform ourselves. We have the ability to remake ourselves. And by the way, it could be you're thinking to yourself, I'm very happy with the way that I am, which is fantastic, but we could all become better, Right? We could all become, you know, it's kind of like, like if you think about it, Jews, Jews are a lot like silver. Right? So if you have like a, like a, a, a cabinet, right? What do you call the cabinet? In, in China cabinet, right? A break front, right? So you go ahead, you have your silver in there. The silver looks beautiful. What's the amazing part about silver? It might look beautiful, but what? Right? It tarnishes. And the truth is, even if it's not tarnished, the amazing part is, if you just polish it a little bit more, it looks even more beautiful, even if it's not. So the Jew is very much like silver. You might be beautiful, you might be wonderful, you might be shining, but the truth is all of us could become more beautiful. All of us could sparkle just a little bit more brightly. So often we fall into one of two categories. There are those of us who know that we need an extreme spiritual makeover, right? And there are those of us who perhaps, maybe I'm happy with where I'm holding. Maybe I'm happy with where I am, but at the end of the day, a little bit of polish would be absolutely wonderful. Whichever one of those two categories you fall into, ultimately, The leo has seder, the night of the seder is the night where we have the ability to remake ourselves. We have the ability to start again. We have the tabla rasa, the blank slate, and we can make of ourselves whatever we want. But how do we tap in to this energy, right? In other words, it's beautiful to speak about concepts kind of like bigadol in a general panoramic sense, but how do you take this lofty level of the ability to tap into the night of the Laila Seder as a cathartic transformative experience? And how do I make it as we call halakha lemaysa, Practical. Practically, how do I plug in to the energy of this evening? So I want to share with you an incredible passage from the Haggadah. Now the truth is, by the way, if anyone needs sheets, there are sheets, there are source sheets up here. I don't know if there are any in the middle, but there is a whole bunch. Okay, over here in the middle also. Excellent. No, none of them. I'm getting conflicting arguments. I'm getting some heads yes, some heads no. Okay, if they are in the middle, great. If they're not in the middle, there's a whole stack over here up front. So we saw in the Haggadah, we saw in the Haggadah the incredible piece. Now the truth is the Haggadah is filled with beautiful and transformative transformative stories, narratives, pieces. What I'm going to share with you is at first glance, not one of those. But as you're going to see, what's fascinating about the Haggadah, what I always love about the Haggadah is one of my favorite books. One of my favorite books. It's not a sefer, right? It's not part of Tanakh. It's not even part of Torah Shabbat, right? It's not part of the Mishnah. It's not part of the Gemara. The Haggadah is a compilation. When was the Haggadah compiled? When was the Haggadah compiled? So pretty much it was compiled over about a thousand years. During the times of the Beis HaMikdash... They they most probably did not use the Haggadah as much. The Haggadah really comes into real use after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, where we no longer have the the Pesach, and we no longer have the carbon Pesach. So again, when the Beis HaMikdash stood, it was the consumption of the carbon Pesach that was the major centerpiece of the evening, in the absence of the Beis HaMikdash. So we go much more into the narrative, much more into the Haggadah. And in fact, we know that the Haggadah was not compiled at one point in time. How do we know that? because the Haggadah changes languages the Haggadah begins well we have Kiddush right and then the Haggadah begins with Halach Ma'anya which is Aramaic Aramaic was not the vernacular during the times of the first place Hamikdash and interestingly enough this Halach Ma'anya and then at the end of the Haggadah what do we have if you're still up at this point right we have Haggadah, Haggadah is also Aramaic so it's fascinating to see that the bookends of the Haggadah are Aramaic which tells us the Haggadah spans a significant amount of time. And Haggadah itself, by the way, is a beautiful song. You know, if you don't, you look at it, it's not immediately clear what it's referring to, but Haggadah is actually the story of Jewish history. right? Haggadah is the entire, the Zabin Abba Betre Zuze, the Haggadah's is Israel. and ultimately, again, everybody who attacks the Gedi, everybody who attacks the Lamb, the Kid, refers to all the other nations who have tried to go ahead and vanquish us over the ages. And of course, the last part of Haggadah, I'm not going to sing it for you, but so on and so forth, is a reference to messianic redemption, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu will come and ultimately right all of the wrongs. But this is the Haggadah. Towards the beginning of Magid, we have a fascinating section. Take a look at number one. Amr, Rabbi Elizabeth ben Azariah. Rabbi Elizabeth ben Azariah said, I am like 70 years old. And I was unable to convince anyone to remember the Exodus at night. Until Benzoma came along, and Benzoma made a drusha. He gave a shear, and in the shir he said, Torah says, You shall remember the Exodus all the days of your life. Yemei Chayecha, the days of your life, that refers to the daytime. Cult Yemei Chayecha refers to the nighttime. Okay, so let's just talk on a basic level. What is Rabbi Loza Ben Azariah saying? I've been telling the Chavra in the base Medrash for years that there is an obligation to remember the exodus at night. And no one ever listened to me until Ben Zoma came along. Ben Zoma advanced the halachic argument and now everyone remembers the exodus at night. Okay, so let's let, let's frame a little bit more what we're talking about over here. When it comes to remembering the Exodus, there are two mitzvahs: there is the mitzvah of Zhirah and the mitzvah of Sipor. The mitzvah of Zahirah means to means to remember the Exodus. How do you fulfill that mitzvah? How do you fulfill it? You remember that God took us out of Egypt. That's it. Now, by the way, you could remember it in Shema because in the third paragraph of Shema, we make reference to the Exodus. So if you say the third paragraph of Shema, you're remembering that God took us out. But if you don't say the third paragraph of the Exodus, you could just say to yourself or even think to yourself, God took us out of Egypt and I have fulfilled the mitzvah of Zahira, remembering the Exodus. The mitzvah of Zechira applies each and every day. Each and every day. There's another mitzvah called Sipor. Sipor yitzias Mitzray means what? To tell the story. Now what's interesting in remembering and telling the story? Very simple. Remembering means just that. I remember that God took us out of Egypt. Done. Check the box. I fulfilled the obligation. Sipor requires a much more in-depth exploration of the narrative. I get into the beginning of slavery. What slavery was like. Redemption of slavery. The Haggadah. The Haggadah. If you look at the Haggadah. Remember, how does the Haggadah start? The Haggadah starts with the story of Avraham Avinu. Avraham and then takes us all the way again to the Jewish descent into Egypt, 210 years of servitude, the Makos, the miracles, splitting of the sea, coming out into the desert, Dayenu, all of that, all of that's seaport. So here's the problem, just to, to get a little bit technical for just a moment. Rabbi Elizabeth Ben Azariah is talking about a halachic argument regarding the mitzvah of Zechira, of Zechira. So what's happening over here in this section is Rabbi Elizabeth Ben-Azari is saying, I've been telling everyone for such a long time, you have to remember the Exodus by day and by night, each and every day. And no one believed me until Ben-Zoma came along. And there are a number of problems. Well, there's actually one fundamental problem. What's the fundamental problem with this section? First of all, we say Shema every day. Good. Even simpler than that. Does this section belong in the Pesach Haggadah? No. Why not? Because this section is focused on the mitzvah of Zechira, the daily obligation to remember the Exodus. That's not the mitzvah of the Seder night. The mitzvah of the Seder night, the mitzvah of the first night of Pesach is Sipur to delve into the story. So why is this here? Why is this, holds this hook? Again, don't get me wrong. Fascinating, riveting, really very interesting. such a halachic level, but it has nothing to do, with the mitzvah's halayla. The mitzvah of the Leil HaSeder is to tell the story, not simply to remember. So the fundamental question that all of the commentaries on the Haggadah ask is why is this here? Why is this here? So there are a number of different answers to this question and I put a lot on the sheet much more than what we're going to cover tonight but I put it on here so you should be able to see it Rav in number 2 in his Safiyul Shinebamaadel he gives an answer In number 3 there's a beautiful Haggadah called the dvar aron the dvar aron was written by the rav of a city called Chup Chup was a city in Hungary he was the rav there before the war see so he wrote us a beautiful explanation there but if you take a look at number 4 Rav Yisrael Meir Lau in his parasha in the Haggadah, says something amazing. He says, I think everyone is missing the point of why this is included. He says something amazing. Ben Zoma made another statement as well. What was Ben Zoma's other statement? Rabbi Lau writes, Who is the one who is wise? One who is able to learn from every person. So it says, Rabbi Lau, something amazing. You know, some things in the Haggadah are included because the author of the Haggadah wants us to focus on the teaching and some things in the Haggadah are included because the author of the Haggadah wants us to focus on the teacher. Sometimes it's the teaching, sometimes it's the teacher. Here Rabbi Lau posits what the Haggadah wants to draw our attention to is the man, Rabbi Lauza ben Azariah. So let's go back and look at the story here for just a moment. Rabbi Loza ben Azariah says, I am like 70 years old. Now we're going to delve into this a little bit more. We know Rabbi Loza ben Azaria was appointed as the Av Din, the head of the Jewish court. How old was he when he was appointed the head of the Jewish court? We'll get to this 18 years old. 18 years old. We'll discuss his story, why he says he's like 70 years old. 18 years old when he was appointed. And Rabbi Loza ben Azaria says Rabbi Loza something amazing. For years, for years, I've been saying in the base medrash, there's an obligation to remember the exodus by day and by night. But no one has listened to me. And why has no one listened to Rabbi Elizabeth Ben-Azariah? Take a while, guess why is no one listening to him? Because he's young. Because what do you have to possibly contribute? You're 17 years old. You're sitting in the base medrash. You're sitting in a study hall with older, accomplished scholars. And Rabbi ben Azariah over and over is trying to say, but I know what I'm talking about. But look, here's the proof. Here's the Pasuk. Here's the Mishnah. Here's the this. And no one even gives him the time of day. Ad Sheba Ben Zoma. Until Ben Zoma came along. And says Rabbi Lau, the Haggadah doesn't just want us to focus on the teaching of Ben Zoma that's mentioned in the Haggadah, but wants us to focus on another teaching of Ben Zoma, namely, Ezehu Chacham Halomid Mikal Adam. Who is wise? One who is able to learn from every individual. Rabbi Allah posits something. Finally, so what happened? What happened? So Rabbi Allah said, no one listen to me. All these years, I've been espousing this halachic precept, this halachic principle, that you have to remember the Exodus by day and by night. And no one listened to me. Until Ben Zoma came along and Ben Zoma said, by the way, you should really be open and receptive to learning from everyone. Once Ben Zoma said that, then what? Then what? Then suddenly everyone began to listen to me. And says Rabbi Lau, why is this included in the Haggadah? Because the truth is, hopefully, we're privileged to be at a seder with many people. Hopefully. And to be honest, the way most of us are conditioned to think is that We learn from people older than us, but have nothing really to gain from people who are younger than us. And the truth is, that's unequivocally false. So often in life, there is so much to be learned from youth. So often in life, you know, it's always interesting. I remember a number of years ago, we bought, say we, my wife, bought, you know, like they make like those um, Seder props, you know, so, so, I don't know why we bought it, but we bought it, right? So, you know, they come with the frogs that jump and that make noise and all of this stuff, you know, and, and of course the girls will. We'll, of course, we'll wait for the Makos. So not even through kiddish and like the frogs are jumping everywhere and the stuff is this. And, you know, as an adult, your first reaction is to get annoyed. But if you take a step back, you say to yourself, my gosh, that's what pure joy looks like. That's what it means to be happy. That's what it means to be happy. And how much better off my life would be if I could find happiness in a plastic frog. Now, now maybe not a plastic frog, but we are so ridiculously high maintenance, right? We need new, 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 bigger, better, different in order to be happy. And even when we get it, we're still not happy, right? I need to go here, I need to do this. We are so high maintenance so high-maintenance, isn't it an incredible, Moser? Right, every first-time parent knows, right? You have a baby, Baruch Hashem, B'sha Tovah Mitzlachos, and what happens again, you want this toy, and that toy, and this, and they're gonna listen and play with this, because this helps with the motor, and this helps with the mind, and they're gonna be a physicist by two and a half, you know, and then all this kind of stuff, right? And you buy all this stuff, or people give you all these presents, and then what happens? You find your baby playing with a pot right? A pot. It's like, they never touched the toy, but the box that the toy came in, like, ah, that's godless. And you realize, wow, I just learned the greatest musser from my baby. From my baby. That the truth is, there's happiness to be found in the simplest things in life. Happiness does not have to come with a price tag. Happiness does not have to come with some brand new dramatic experience that no one else has had. Happiness could come from everyday life. Happiness could come from the simplest things. And it's funny, because most of us will never actually learn that lesson from another adult. More often than not, we learn that from children. The challenge, of course, is when parents make their children into high maintenance. That, but that's, not a, that's a different here, that's a different here. In any event, Rabbi Lau says, do you know why this is included here, the you know way this section? Because when we sit around the table, you know, sometimes again, if a person is privileged to sit around the table with children, Younger children, whether it's their own children, other people's children. So, you know, like the, the kids come, the kids come with the, with the binder, right? So first of all, right, the parent sees the binder, you're like, oh my gosh, it looks three times as big than it was last year. Right? you wonder wondering what's going on over here. And you listen to the Divrei Torah, listen to the Divrei Torah. But to be honest, I don't process it. I listen, I listen, and, and I, w- I want to be attentive. But if you ask me, is there anything there that I can really learn from? I think most of us would answer, no. Come on, first of all, it's often the same DeVay Torah anyway every year, right? I heard this already once, right? Or five times. But what's amazing is, the night of the Seder is a learning experience. And you don't just learn from people older than you. And you don't just learn from people with more life experience than you. If you open your heart and you open your mind, you could absolutely learn from everyone. And that is part of the beauty of the Seder experience. Your dining room becomes a classroom. And every person around the table is a teacher. Young and old. Background, no background. Yeshiva education, not yeshiva education. First seder, 15th seder, 77th seder. It doesn't make a difference. The power of the le'el has seder is an openness to learn. Think about it. How many of us, really have an openness to learn right I think most of us go through life is this is who I am this is my identity this is what I know these are the truths these are the untruths this is good this is not good and we become exceptionally rigid we become rigid in our beliefs we become rigid in our hashkafas we become rigid in our life outlooks and nothing or no one could move us now sometimes that's good right with certain spiritual religious tenets that's an absolutely incredible thing But in so many other things in life, the key to successful living is flexibility. And flexibility, fluidity comes from a willingness, an openness to learn. Am I willing to hear from someone else? Am I willing to hear a different opinion? Am I willing to hear a different vantage point? Am I willing to hear an insight? Growth comes from an openness to learn. Growth comes from an openness to ingest other opinions and other ideas. And says Rabbi Laud, that's why this section is here. Rabbi Lazar bin Azai is saying, guys, I've been telling you for years, you are supposed to remember the Exodus day and night and no one will give him the time of day. Why? Because he's young. Because he's young. He's one of the greatest scholars of his generation, even though he's young, even though he's young until Benzoma came along and said, "Acha Ben Zoma, by the way, learn from everyone. This becomes the Musra of our Seder as well. Learn from everyone. Because you'd be surprised in life where sometimes the greatest amount, the greatest amount of wisdom comes from. And it's interesting because we all know in life, sometimes the greatest amount of wisdom doesn't necessarily come from the people who are wisest. I know that sounds like a strange statement, A person could have a lot, a person could be very smart. It doesn't mean necessarily that they give off or they share wisdom. Wisdom doesn't necessarily mean or doesn't have to require an incredible voluminous amount of knowledge. Sometimes wisdom comes from the places you least expect it. You just have to be open to it. You have to be receptive to it and you have to be inviting of it. That's Rabbi Lau. But I wanna share with you another different approach. Different approach. If you take a look at number five, so one of the most incredible kind of overarching themes of the night of the Seder is number five, because what is it that we're trying to accomplish? Remember, over the night of the Seder, in Judaism, we do not simply relive, or I should say, we don't remember historical events. That's not what we do, right? So when we come to the Seder, it's not the Pshat that we sit down to remember that which God did for us thousands of years ago. In fact, the Mishnah, excuse me, number five says, "Bechol v'adar What's the obligation of the night of the Seder? To see myself as if I left Egypt. You know, Rabbi Salavichik, I've spoken about this concept before. Rabbi Salavichik explains that one of the most incredible things about God, Baruch Hu, is that the Rebano Shalom is HaYehove Beviyeh. He's past, present, and future. And he's past, present, and future simultaneously, which is incredible. Rabbi Soloveitchik says each of us is made in the image of God. And in Chassidus we know that each of us has a nitzutz, a spark of the shel olam inside of us. So Rabbi Soloveitchik posits that the same way that God is past, present, and future simultaneously, each of us has the ability to tap into that power as well. Bless you. To live simultaneously in the past, present, and future. Rabbi Soloveitchik calls this the unitive time consciousness unitive time consciousness, to literally be able to live in past, present, and future. You know, I, I tell my children this every year, when we walk outside by Shavuuch HaMascha, I say them, you'll see the moon, because remember again, it's always a beautiful moon, Pesach is in the middle of the month. Because Baruch Hu purposely took us out in the middle of the month because the moon is full. There's an incredible amount of natural light. You know, we don't appreciate the moonlight, but if you ever go somewhere where there's no, there's no artificial light and it's a full moon, The moon gives off an incredible amount of light. Hashem purposely took us out, not in the beginning of the month, not in the end of the month, but the middle of the month, that the moon would be full, would guide our way at night, at least for the first couple of days of the journey. I tell my children to look up at the moon. And I said, Isn't it incredible that the same moon you're looking at right now, the same exact moon, is the same moon that our great, 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 great grandparents saw when they left Mitzrayim? It's the same moon. It's the same moon. And the Gemara says, because that's the whole avodah of the night, not to remember something which happened to someone else, but myself, to become free as well, to free myself. And this really highlights one of the deeper dynamics of Pesach. You know, when we say, Chayiv Adam liros es mitzrayim, a person is obligated to see himself as if he left Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim means Egypt. But the Baal Shem says, Mitzrayim, the Shoresh of Mitzrayim is Meitzar. Mem tsadik Reish. Minam Meitzar Karosika. From the narrow straits. The narrow straits. The same way that our ancestors left their Mitzrayim, all of us have a Mitzrayim. We each have a Mitzrayim, right? Think about this. All of us have our Egypt. For some of us, our Egypt could be a negative trait. For some of us, Egypt could be ha-sholom an addiction. Egypt could be a toxic relationship. Egypt could be a negative or abusive behavior. Right? Everybody has their mitzrayim. Everybody has that thing that is holding them back. Everyone has that thing that they're stuck in. And maybe I've been stuck in it for a very, very long time. And so part of the power of, of, of Pesach. Is Chayiv Adam Liros as Atzmo Kiilu HuYatsa just like my ancestors left their Egypt? Unitive time consciousness, past, present, future, all come into one. Tonight is the night that I can leave my Egypt as well. Whatever my Egypt is, whatever that thing is that is holding me back, whatever that thing is that is enslaving me, whatever that thing is that is my Egypt. I can leave it if I want to. But how? How, how, do, how do we do that? Because remember, again, at the night of the Seder, what am I doing? What am, what, what, what am I doing for a couple hours? Right? Eating, right? Normally, right? Sitting, reading. It's, like, it's not like the Seder is like a dynamic event, right? I'm sitting, I'm reading, I'm listening, I'm talking. In other words, it's not actional, per se. So how do I activate this colour? Right? How, how do I do this to free myself from my mitzvahs? So hold on to that for just a little bit. Let's go back to Rabbi Zeven Azaria. Look at number six. So let me give you the background here. There was a little bit of a falling out in the Sanhedrin, in the Jewish High Court. Rabbi Gamliel was deposed. Rabbi Gamliel was deposed. So the Gemara says they had to go ahead and appoint a new head of the Sanhedrin, a new head of the Jewish court. And they had a, they had a search committee. They floated a couple of names, big names like Rabbi Akiva and others. They finally came to Rabbi Azza ben Azariah. Now, why did they come to Rabbi Azariah? Take a look at number six. Let's go ahead and choose Rabbi Azza ben Azariah. Why? Number one, he's wise. ashir. He's rich. Ezra, And he's the 10th generation of Ezra. He's good yichus. So he's wise. I understand. He's got know a lot of Torah. He has good yichus. That's also good. Why is it important that he's rich? Right. So first of all, not take bribes, but even, even nothing as sinister as taking bribes, there is nothing better than having financial independence if you're in a leadership role. Because the truth is, if you are financially dependent on your constituents, sometimes it's hard to make difficult decisions. Sometimes it's hard to do what needs to get done if your paycheck is coming from the very people who may not like your decisions. So it's wonderful to be the Abbasin and to be independently wealthy because then you could do what's right, what you feel needs to get done, People are happy with it, people aren't happy with it, it doesn't make a difference. If it's the right thing to do, you're ready to do it. So therefore, Rabbi Lazzar ben Azariah is the chosen candidate. They come to him, they come to him. Skip down a little bit. Asuva Amrulay, third line down to number six. They say, Rabbi Lazzar ben Azariah, we'd like you to be the Rashi Shiva. We'd like you to be the head of the Sanhedrin. So what does Rabbi Lazzar ben Azariah say? A very smart man. They did say he was a chacham. Amr lehu eizel ve'imlech be'in shibesi. Let me go ask my wife. Let me go ask my wife, right? He might be wise, he might be rich, he might be, right? He might have good yichos. Everybody has the same constraints, right? So let's go. Let me ask my wife, see what she has to say. So listen to this. He goes and he asks his wife. So she essentially says to him, Are you out of your mind? That's a loose translation, right? Right? Are you out of your mind? Why does she say this? She says, you have to remember, whenever you take a job, right, always the best thing to look at when you take a job is what? What happened to your predecessor, right? How was that person treated? How was that person dealt with? Under what circumstances did they leave? What happened? What happened with Rabbi Gamliel? They fired him. They fired Rabbi Gamliel. So Avzai says to him, are you crazy? Rabbi Gamliel is smarter than you, right? Rabbi Gamliel is older than you. Rabbi Gamil was richer than you, spoken like a true wife, right? Right. Rabbi Gamil is better than you in every way, right? right? Right. And yet, they went ahead and they fired him. They fired him. They are going to chew you up and spit you out. What are you thinking? You're 18 years old, you're a kid. Okay, you're a big Talmud Chacham, that's fantastic. You're wealthy, that's fantastic. But Rabbi Gamliel was seasoned. Rabbi Gamliel had decades of experience. Rabbi Gamliel knew how to navigate the tumultuous nature of Jewish communal leadership. And yet still, still, look what they did for him, to, or to him. You're going to take this job? So, so what Rabbi Ben-Azari responds. This is incredible. Amr al he said to his wife, three lines are from the bottom, l'shtamish inish yom b'kise demarka, demarka litbar ben Nazari says to his wife, It is better to use a beautiful crystal glass for one day, even if the next day it will shatter. And ben Nazari says something so profound to his wife. He says, I am not blind to the risks of this position. And I know that the statistical probability is probably that they're gonna chew me up, right, and spit me out. They're gonna fire me just like the Rabbi Gamliel, because if they did it to him, they'll do it to me. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty confident that that's probably going to be what happens. But better to use a crystal, beautiful crystal glass for one day, even if it breaks tomorrow. Rabbi Loza essentially says to his wife, should I let the fear of the unknown paralyze me from taking advantage of an opportunity that is right here? I'm not blind to how this could turn out. I'm not blind to how this could go south. I'm not blind to the fact that the statistical probability is that it's not going to work. But right now it's here. Right now there's an opportunity to do something. Right now there's an opportunity to make a difference. Right now, today, I could use the crystal glass You know, every single time. There are people like this, right? Who will never use their nicest stemware, right? Because it might break. Fantastic, it looks beautiful in the break front, right? It looks beautiful, right? Gathering thus sitting there in the break. Well, no, we can't use it because it might break. Okay, you're right, it might break, it might break. So Elizabeth and Azari says, but you know what? I'd rather have the opportunity to use the beautiful stemware. If it breaks, I'm willing to accept that risk. But nothing ventured, nothing gained. If you're not willing to put yourself out there, if you're not willing to assume risk in life, if you're not willing to go ahead and venture a little bit into the unknown, you will simply remain stagnant in place. And this is, first of all, it's such a profound exchange between a husband and wife. And this is truly what it means in a marital relationship to be an easier connecto. His wife doesn't pull any punches, right? She tells him just like it is, they're gonna fire you, it's a bad idea. He's machshiv, what, right? He doesn't dismiss what she says. He, does, he, doesn't, he doesn't say you're wrong. He doesn't say, I'll show you, I can do this. He says, you're right. You're right, I, 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 I can't argue with you. The only thing I would just say is from a Hashkafic perspective, isn't it better to try? Isn't it better to try, even knowing that you may fail, than to never try at all? Now there's the rest of the story. The rest of the story is he goes back, he accepts the job, he accepts the job. The problem of course was, the other thing his wife told him was, you have no gray hair, and people aren't going to respect an 18 year old leader. So the Gemara says a miracle occurred. The Gemara says, nisa va tamni A miracle occurred, and he developed eighteen rows of gray hair. Right? You know the Marsha says on this, it wasn't a miracle. That's what happens the moment you accept the yoke of leadership. That's what happens—premature aging. Right? So again, he accepted the job, he accepted the responsibility like that. He's got gray hair. So ultimately, again, that's why the Gemara, last line of number six. This is why Rabbi Elizabeth ben This is quoted as saying, I am like 70 years old. He wasn't 70 years old, right? He wasn't 70 years old. He was like 70 years old. And perhaps, perhaps, this is why this section is included. You see, we all have our Mitzrayim. Right? each of us has our mitzvah, and We all have that Egypt, that personalistic Egypt, that Mitzrayim, that narrow strait that is holding me back. We all have it. Some of us have been in the same Egypt for weeks, for months, for decades, for an entire lifetime. So why is it that we don't leave? Right? That we that we that we don't that we don't leave. So I'll tell you why. It's the same answer as to why. Three-fifths, right, or four-fifths, right, four-fifths of Kalal Yisrael did not leave Egypt, right? Only one-fifth of the Jewish people left Egypt. Four-fifths remained behind and died in Egypt. Why? They died during the plague of Hoshech, during the plague of darkness. Why? Because people are afraid of failure. Because, you see, here's the problem. I know what I know. You know what the beauty of Egypt is? You know what the beauty of, of whatever your Egypt is? What's the beauty of your personalistic Egypt? Right? I know it. I know it. Because the truth is, I've been living there for a very long time. I know it. It's comfortable. I'm here. And it's true. I always talk about getting out of my Egypt. I always talk about change. I always talk about this. I always talk about the things I want to do. I need to do. I should do. I thought about doing. I yeah. I I know, I know that I have to leave, but at the end of the day, it's just comfortable, it's predictable, and I know it. And at the end of the day, what I'm most scared of is that if I try to leave, maybe I'll fail. Maybe I'll finally summon up the courage to try to leave my personalistic Egypt. And you know what, I'll just fall flat on my face. And that fear of failure, is what holds most of us back in life. It's the fear of failure that often prevents us from forging meaningful relationships. It's a fear of failure that often goes ahead and prevents us from climbing the ladder of career success. It's a fear of failure that prevents us from fully self-actualizing and becoming the people we know we really can become. I know I should be doing more. I know I should be doing things differently. I know that there are things I should stop doing. I know that there are things that I should start doing. I know it. I know it. It's clear. No one needs to make a life plan for me. I've got it all over here. I've got it all over here. The problem is not with the plan. The problem is with the execution of it. So why don't I execute? And it's one simple reason. I'm afraid the glass is going to break. I'm afraid I'm going to start something and then I'm going to fail. Right? I'm going to begin to leave Egypt and then I'm going to slip and fall right back into Egypt. I'm going to start something I won't be able to sustain it. I'm going to begin something and then I'm going to backslide. And so better not to try if there is a fear, a potential of failure. And Rabbi Loza Ben Azariah is in the Haggadah. Do you know why he's here? Not because of his teaching. How do I know it's not because of his teaching? Because what, teach? what is his teaching? What? The actual, the actual paragraph? What is Rabbi Loza Ben Azariah talking about in number one? Which mitzvah? Which mitzvah? Zichira, remembering the Exodus. Remembering the Exodus applies when? Every day. Doesn't apply when? Night of Pesach. Well, technically it applies, but we fulfill through Sippor. So why is this section here? It's here not because of the teaching. It's here because of the teacher. Because one of the most important personalities who helps us to become free is Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah. Because Rabbi Laza bin Azariah is the one who coined the phrase, better to use the beautiful crystal glass one day, even if tomorrow it's going to break. Don't be afraid to go out on a limb. Don't be afraid to push yourself. Is it possible you're going to fail? Is it possible you'll fail? Can I tell you a secret, a little secret? Not only is it possible you're going to fail, but... It's probable you're going to fail. I know, I'm not like a motivational speaker, right? right you know, it's probable you're going to fail. The best thing in life is to accept that reality. Yeah, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. Does anyone ever get on a bike? Right? Does anyone ever get on a bike? In other words, every child thinks they're going to get it the first time, right? And every adult, right, who's holding the back of that seat knows what's going to happen. What's going to happen? You're going to fall. It's only a question of how bad the fall is, right? Hopefully, it'll be on grass. It'll be on this. It'll be... But it's an incredible thing. I know it's gonna happen. There's not a doubt in my mind it's gonna happen. But yet we become so afraid to fail that we never push ourselves to become the best version of ourselves. Do you know what freedom ultimately means? Freedom means the ability to transcend the fear of failure. Freedom means the ability to transcend the fear of failure. Because if I'm not afraid to fail, if I'm okay with, you know what, the glass may break tomorrow, but I gotta do what I gotta do today, there is no telling what one could accomplish in life. And the reason why most of us just simply remain in our Mitzrayim, remain tethered to our present mediocrity, unable to move our lives forward is because we are afraid of failure. Rabbi Loza Ben-Azari doesn't come along and say, I'm the man. I'm going to be fine. Nothing's going to happen to you. He didn't know. Me, I know. I'm smart. He didn't say that. He said, you're right. You're right. I'll probably or possibly fail, but I'm willing to try. And that is the key to unlocking our freedom. Freedom means the ability to transcend the fear of failure. If you're okay with failing, it's okay to fail, because you know what failing means? Failing means... I'm trying. Failing means I'm putting in effort. Failing means I'm trying to advance myself. Okay, I didn't get it right this time, but I'm trying. That is the first step in freedom. I'll share with you something amazing. If you take a look in number 11, uh, this is absolutely wild. Take a look at number 11. So this again is in the same Haggadah from the Dvar Aaron, the Chochmas Aaron, the Rav of Chop. Listen to what he writes. He quotes the Arizal. Get ready for this. I, I have never seen this before. And this, Mamish blew my mind. Quotes the Arizal. The Arizal says, The ben Azariah who Gilgul Shmuel Haramasi Shechai Nun Beis shanen. In number 11, right? the Chakmas Aaron writes, quoting the Arizal, the Arizal says, The ben Azariah was a Gilgul, reincarnation of the Prophet Shmuel. The Nabi Shmuel, it's the Arizal says, and by the way, based on this, he says, Shmuel Hanavi died when he was 52 years old. He was 52 years old and he passed away. So, and the Arizal says that Rabbi Ezra ben Azaria is a Gilgal, a reincarnation, whatever, whatever exactly that means. And he says, that's what it means when, he, when we say, when Rabbi ben Azaria said, I am like a 70 year old man. Where does 70 come from? Because Rabbi Ezra ben Azaria himself was how old? 18, and he was a Gilgal, a reincarnation of Shmuel who lived for 52 years. Haray ani, 52 plus 18, 70. Haray ani ben shivim shana. Incredible. But like, what does that mean? So I'll show you something amazing. I think what the Arizal is saying is like this. If you take a look at source number 8, Shmuel Hanavi, Shmuel Hanavi lived with an incredible sense of pain at the end of his life. What was the source of his pain? That he remember again, Shmuel was responsible for coronating Shaul. First king, Saul, Shaul, and Shaul failed. Shaul was a great man, a real tzaddik, but unfortunately encountered incredible failures. Amongst his failures, again, he disobeyed Shmuel in the beginning, he didn't wipe out Amalek, and so Hashem tells Shmuel, even though you coronated Shaol, he will not be the father of a dynastic monarchy. If you look at number eight, how does the Nabi describe Shmuel? Shmuel's last years of his life, a constant state of mourning. He was in a constant state of mourning, to the point that if you look at number nine, listen to this exchange. Admasai Abel al How long are you going to mourn for Shaol? anima al-Yisrael. I don't want him as king anymore. Hashem and fill up your horn with oil and go and anoint one of the sons of Yishai. So listen to what the Arizal is saying. You see, Shmuel Hanavi at the end of his life was paralyzed by failure. He was paralyzed by his failure. He was unable to move himself forward. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to say, come on, get it together. Fill up the horn with oil, which is where they used to keep the anointing oil, and go to one of the sons of Yeshai. Shmuel was paralyzed by his actual, what well, it wasn't his failures, but what he perceived to be, it was Shaul's failures, but he took them as his own failures. He was paralyzed by failures, and as a result, the last number of years of Shmuel Hanavi's life, were not as productive as they could have been because he was paralyzed by failure. Who's his Gilgal? Who does does his neshama come back? And and right in whose body? Rabbalazah ben Azariah. And Rabbalazah ben Azariah is the exact opposite. Rabbalazah ben Azariah says, I will not allow the fear of failure to paralyze me. So Shmuel Hanavi, who lived out his last years paralyzed, by his perceived, not even his actual, but by his perceived failures, comes back to this world again in Rabbi Loza ben Azariah, who personified the exact opposite lesson. Do not allow the fear of failure to paralyze you. That's the meaning of the arizon if we bring this all together, this is what the Gemara means when it says, Bechol dar adam liros es atzmo mitraim. Right, if you think about it, the whole goal, what's the whole goal? What's the whole goal of the night of the Seder? The whole goal is to leave Egypt. Is to leave Egypt. Whose Egypt are you leaving? You're not leaving historical Egypt. We left here thousands of years ago. Whose Egypt are you leaving? Your own Egypt. Number step number one is identifying what's your Mitzrayim. What's your Mitzrayim? And then the avoda of the night of the Seder is: see when I sit down to the Seder, I'm still in Egypt. I'm still in Egypt. My goal is that by the time I finish that fourth course, have, right, a lot of things happen by the time I finish that fourth coast, right? But my goal is, I don't know necessarily that I'm going to totally have left my Egypt, but I know that I'm going to have a plan. And I know what I'm not going to do is be paralyzed by the fear of failure. That's why Rabbi Loza is in the Haggadah. Not for his teaching, but for the teacher, because of who he was because freedom means the ability to transcend the fear of failure. I don't wanna live the same life. I don't wanna live the same life. I don't wanna be the same person. I want something better. I want something bigger. I want something greater. I wanna tell you something. If you say to yourself, oh no, I'm content with the way things are, then Nebach, you're really stuck in Mitzrayim. And then you've been in your Mitzrayim way too long because the Jew never settles. The Jew never says, oh, this is nice. I could relax here for the next 60 years, right? A Jew never says a thing like that. It's always bigger. It's always better. It's always higher. It's always holier. And so my avoda over the course of the Leil HaSeder is to figure out, A, what is my Mitzrayim? What is holding me back? Step one. Step two, how do I get out of it? Let me use the night of the Seder to devise a plan. You know, I, I, I say this every year. People often think that like the goal of a, a successful Seder is getting from one end of the Haggadah to the other and cover to cover. The Haggadah is a guide. It's a guide. It's a map. You know, I mean, map, right? So, you know, we used to have maps. So remember, imagine for a moment you're using a map, right? So imagine you're using a map and imagine you're driving, and you just hold the map up like this, in front of the windshield, right? Now, again, I, I, I'm, I'm going ahead, I'm following the map. Every turn, I want to see every car. Say crazy. You can't stick glued to the map because you don't see the road. The Haggadah is the map also. If all you do is this, if all you do is this, and everything is the whole, entire schedule, just are getting through every, every word, perhaps you've fulfilled the mechanistic mitzvot of the night, but you've missed the golden opportunity. The goal of the Seder is an introspective experience where I have to figure out how do I get out of my Egypt? I've been living here too long. I've become too comfortable here. I've become too settled here. How do I get out? And to begin to devise a plan for how you're gonna get out and know what's gonna happen. The moment you devise the plan, what's gonna happen? We know, how does this work? What's gonna happen? There's another voice. What's the voice? Too scary, too scary, too much change, slow down, this is fine, it's not so bad, Mitzrayim is nice, everything's coming into blossom now, it's gonna be fantastic, they opened up a new restaurant, everything is great, right, j- j- just stop, just you know, pump the brakes a little bit, you're a little, little too fast, a little too much change, a little too quickly, just understand, then what do you say to that voice? I accept the fact that I may fail. I accept the fact that I may drop the beautiful piece of stemware. The glass is great right now and I may drop it tomorrow, but I'm not going to let the fear of failure sideline me from my goal of leaving my Egypt. That is our avodah on the night of the Seder. And it's hard, because it's hard to find an introspective moment over the course of the night of the Seder, right? There's a lot going on. Hopefully, again, there's a lot of noise at the table. Noise is good, Baruch Hashem. Right? There's a lot going on. It's hard to find introspective. So perhaps, perhaps, the introspection really comes now. It's Nissan Nisan already. This entire month, this entire month is the month of Geula. This entire month ultimately, again, is a month of incredible redemption. And the truth is, I want to speak about this more on Shabbos, that Shabbos HaGadud Rasha, but, you know, one of the things that I constantly keep thinking about is the world is changing so much. The world is changing so much, right? If, if you think about it, if you think about it, right, it feels like we constantly go from upheaval to upheaval, right? We have a pandemic, just right when the pandemic, I, I don't know, is it over? I'm not sure, I'm not sure. I think it depends who you ask, right? Right, but, but just that even if it's not over, as, as it's winding down, at least, as it's winding down, war, war. And we see the images of war. And we see what happened in Bucha. And we see how Russia seems to occupy the present day of the Nazis, Yemach of Brutalities, this is 2022, not not that humanity has evolved beyond brutalities, but the overwhelming sense of upheaval. Millions of people fleeing their homes. So first we have millions of people worldwide being impacted by a pandemic. Millions of people now suffering through upheaval. The world is changing so much. And isn't it amazing how sometimes an entire world changes, but I stay the same. And HaKadosh Baruch says, when you see so much change happening around you, maybe that's a sign that I could change as well. We just have to stop being afraid of dropping the crystal glass. We have to stop being afraid about the possibility of failure. Accept that you will fail. Accept that it's not just possible, but maybe even it's probable. And that opens the doors to dynamic change. So we should be zolchem y'rtz In the week and a half that we have until the Lel HaSeder. to give some serious thought, A, to what is our Mitzrayim. B, am I really ready to leave? And C, how do I get out? And then at the night of the Seder, I come armed with, of course, all of my Devret Torah, beautiful insights, but I come armed with my plan. And by the way, write down your plan. Write down your plan and put it in your Haggadah. And over the course of the night of the Seder, open it up and look at it. Line one. My Mitzrayim is fill in the blank. Line two, I pledge to leave my Mitzrayim. Line three, here is how I'm going to leave.